by no one's demand but our own and from our overcast office here in beautiful Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions Podcast. Brought to you as always by Tennessee Tickets, powered by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville. Com. There was so much gas bagging left to do that we just could not let it go too much longer without bringing back Braden Gall of Athlon, Sirius XM, and ESPN Radio on occasion. So we have brought him back. At Braden Gall is where you follow him. And we're going to talk about the draft po- prospects because nobody will tell you that they know more about the SEC in <laughs> college football than Braden Gall. So, of course... Why not bring him back to uh, to fill in the the holes that the draft, uh, what little mystery there is to the NFL draft, uh, left uh, remains to be seen. Hello, friend. Hello, sir. Hello, friends. Um, yes, I, I, an important distinction between no one knows more yeah. about the prospects in the draft versus no one will tell you that they know more. It's a very important distinction. And I, I, I listen. You said that what little is left to know. I think this is the most unpredictable NFL draft we're going to have in in modern media history because you know we ha- we haven't been all hanging out with each other, having dinner, clinking glasses, and exchanging background. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be a, a really wild Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The last social setting I was I was a part of was the Indianapolis Combine. Like that's the last time I've been in a bar, and this is the last time that any of us, you're right, have had the chance to kind of sit down. And, uh, and have these media meetings of the minds. But there are, there are a variety of reasons why this draft has no precedent. One, because it's the first virtual NFL draft ever, and we have no idea, um, other than David Gettleman, who will botch the technology end of all of this <laughs> and who will, uh, who will stumble about and whose Wi-Fi connection will be overloaded because they have too many kids at home with, I- kids at home with iPads. Uh, outside of just the prospects in general, you have Tua just uh, nosediving, it would seem, out of the top five at this point, depending on what Detroit and Miami do with the picks. But with the Titans, it all seems kind of cut and dry. So I figure we start there with the hometown team, and then we talk about the prospects at large because I have some information on Detroit that I think uh, will will bear itself out over the course of the next three days. And I think that it very much matters for the Tua conversation. What say you, Brighton Gull? Uh, no, number one, to your point about sort of w- what this draft looks like unpre- from an unprecedented, like from a precedent standpoint, I think two, two things. And um, I, I think this is going to be far more tape driven than anything we've ever seen before, which I love because I think, you know, the eye in the sky, don't lie. I, I'm a big believer. And if you're a good football player, you're a good football player. It's really wild thinking. I know it's out there. Um, but I, I think, you know, for, for you pro football focused people, um, I was talking to Steve Palazzolo on the cover two podcast, rate, review and subscribe. Yes. Forgive me. Uh, I left and, off and I the think... one platform. I'm so no. sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's, he, he, he just had some really interesting, he, he thinks their evaluation process has gotten, better and better and better every year because they, you know, they're, they're essentially driven exclusively by on the field failure or success, which is really interesting if you're a nerd like me. And, and I think this draft is going to be, there's far less poking and prodding, right? There's, there's less of the, of the, the sort of the cattle call this year because no one's been able to actually do it in person. So I think NFL people, geniuses, smart scouting, 
you know, tech people that are, you know, really, really savvy and get paid a whole lot of money to be good at what they do. You know, they, they don't have the chance to overthink themselves this year. They're going to have to rely far more on the tape itself, which I think is always going to be the right thing to do. So I think evaluations are going to be vastly different for certain players from team to team. I, I you know, I just like you said, the unprecedented nature, I, I think, of how you're it's to me, it's exclusively about the evaluation process. I think the players themselves, the tape isn't any different, but the process is so different that I think people are going to have to rely on different things for the first time in front. There's not a lot of data accumulation over the last two months and NFL people, they love their data accumulation and that's not going to be a thing that's happened. And so they're going to have to rely on, Oh my God, guess what? Football plays, which, which may end up making the draft a, a more, you know, a more fundamentally sound thing. I have to think like if, if all of, if the, if the conclusion that we come out of all of this with, as it relates to the NFL draft, is that it's more tape focused. Well, isn't that for, isn't that at, at, at its core what it's supposed to be about? Now we don't have the ability for, uh, John Robinson said on his conference call on Monday with us that they had 10 players in before everything got shut down. And so you have that idea of the 10 players uh, whom they visited with. But now there's not the opportunity for NFL teams to be like, oh, I didn't like his personality in the room. Oh, this is going to affect his, his... And personality does matter, and you have, to, you have to be able to ascertain some level of, of competitiveness and of drive and all of these intangible things that coaches will yammer on and on and on about in, in cliche form. But at the end of the day, the tape is where you learn the most. Now that I've said we're going to start with the Titans, and now we're stuck in our spinning our uh, wheels, we'll, spinning our wheels in the process. Uh, <laughs> we'll, I, we'll get to the we'll get to the Titans. I, I I think it's fascinating that you say I hope we learn that through this process because I think that's basically how most rational, critical thinking adults feel about this entire coronavirus process writ large. Yeah. It is that are we going to learn a freaking thing from any of this? And if we do. Can we make adjustments, put things in place that sort of prepare us to better anticipate and or cope with future issues? And that is a for me personally, that's what I hope we all learn as a country from this process. But I think it certainly applies to the NFL draft when it comes down to studying football players. There are guys that have run five zero flats at the you know 40 times at the combine that have gone on to be really good nfl linebackers 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 can't run 5040s brandon spikes ran a five flat 40 and turned into a pretty damn good player for the patriots because he was put in the right position to play the game the way he is good at it and i think football players are good at things and coaches are getting better at putting players in the right position to succeed based on their skills not their own rigid system and, and and you know idea of what it's supposed to look like and i think that is a really really cool positive for the growth of the nfl as we're watching players like lamar jackson and kyler murray find success uh who do you think is more adept at putting on a face mask do you believe it to be doug marone or ron DeSantis? wow i'm gonna go with doug marone i think doug marone because doug Mar- we have we have the tape we have the tape on the yeah, and, and here, <laughs> here's the big difference between the two um, one of them it will just get fired <laughs> if he's not good at his job. Like, that's the difference. One of them will just be gone if he's terrible at his job, and so he needs to maintain an elite level of execution across the board. The other one, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I'll just say the other one has a 
a larger support system maybe in place to help him maintain status quo. Let's just put it at that. Rabbit, one that. might say, uh, yes. with with the Rona and God knows what other kind of diseases in Florida. Let's talk about Titans prospects now that we've gone through the process and politics and all of these things. Uh, they need a corner. Jadavion Clowney, just by process of elimination, seems to still be in play for them, whether or not they accept his price tag, it seems nobody is willing to do, especially without the medical evaluations. But that that possibility being more, more realistic at this point, I think makes the obvious pick of corner at 29 or wherever it is that they actually pick, because I think they would try to trade back if all things were equal. I, The player that gets mocked to them often early and often, has been Jeff Gladney from TCU. But the more that I watch tape of this cornerback class, the more that I love the idea of Christian Fulton from LSU. I love (laughs) his patience. I love his mental processing. I love that he can both play on the outside or bump inside, which is what they will need um, in nickel duties. He looks like he is disinterested in tackling, but most corners are. On the whole, though, I think he fits the profile of what a Tennessee Titans corner usually looks like, and I just love the tape on this guy. Am I wrong to think Fulton over Gladney? Oh, that's a tough call because I think there are, and it's this—it's the same for the the edge rusher group as well. There, there are two guys that are above everybody else in both in both position groups, and so if Clowney is in fact in play as we think he is, and I think you you have to look at Clowney and just look at the situation, and the situation has to sort of—it's like the snake eating its tail to some degree. Like if you can, there's two lines of thinking. If he's really really cheap and you can get him for an affordable price, and he's totally worth it. If but but because he's asking for so much money, and you don't have the medicals on this. The, the the idea that he's holding out for that much more automatically discounts him as well. So there's it's a really complex sort of dynamic there with Clowney. If he is in fact in play, then corner and tackle become uh, offensive tackle become uh, positions you want to target. And I think uh, offensive tackle at 29, even though it doesn't feel likely at all, that is where the position talent will drop off. The position talent for offensive tackle is going to drop off around pick 35-ish, give or take a few slots, depending on if somebody falls or not. So if that is the position you want, you're going to have to get them at 29. If you want corner, you can go back into the second round, edge rusher, go back into the second round, because if you're not getting one of the top two at those positions, that is where I think you're going to find value. So if you don't get Chase Young or Caleb on chase on, which I think are the top two defensive edge rushers, you know, end or outside back or whatever, those two guys are not in play. You don't think Jeff Okuda or C.J. Henderson at corner are in play unless you're going to go way up and somebody falls maybe to 15, 16, or 17 in the draft. You, you know, you're, Those four guys are out of play. So then you look at the second tier, and there's no agreement amongst scouts on either of those two positions as to who's the next best guy. You just gave me two really good names, Gladney and Fulton. I think Gladney's a more, a, a more physical, rough around the edges, meaning he likes to play the game with attitude. Um, I like that about him. He's a little undersized. And so if, if you're okay with the, the Titans corners being undersized, which has been the case with the Dory Jackson, Logan Ryan, and maybe even to some degree, Malcolm Butler, although he's certainly a little bit more of your prototypical size. Um, I, I'm okay with Gladney playing as a third corner in that, in, in a system where you play five defensive backs. My issue with Fulton, and I think he's a really nice player, 
My issue with Fulton is that if you put on the tape of the most important game that they've played all season, yeah. the, the Clemson Tigers went after his ass the entire game. And you know who they stayed away from? A true freshman on the other side who eventually ended up with an interception with Derek Stingley on the other side for LSU. They abused him the entire national title game. That that should not be the entire evaluation. You should look at his entire tape and look at his entire uh, body of work. I, for, for me, you know, the phrase – corners don't like to tackle like that that's garbage to me i want a guy who wants to like a dory jackson in college liked to tackle logan ryan <laughs> one of logan the team's ryan best tacklers to, yeah amani hooker is a fantastic open field tackler so i actually will push back on if a guy doesn't like to tackle i don't want i, I would guess that mike brable sits at that desk with the clicker and goes but I, I want to see effort. I want to see attitude. And I actually like Gladney more better than Fulton as far as the attitude goes because I think he likes to come up and play defense, likes to come up and make tackles. I think that's what makes him interesting. And speaking of Hooker, I think that's also a fundamental question that a lot of people aren't asking about this team. And, you know, you, you think foundational, fundamental questions about a Titans team. You're not – Amani Hooker is not the name that comes to mind, but I think it should be. How – how many reps can you give him? How many snaps can he play? How many positions can he play? How confident are you in his abilities? And if you are, and, and you're really confident in his ability to roll up into the slot, play tight ends, you know, go three safety look, whatever, and take some of those Logan Ryan snaps, then you're probably not as needy at the cornerback position. Obviously, you need a body. But if you're talking about starting lineups and matchups, how confident are you in Amani Hooker is going to be a big part of the evaluation? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like in 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 what defenses would term, I guess the star position. He's not this this hybrid safety linebacker in the box, uh, out of the box type player. Right. He has the ability to play in the slot. I don't think he's a, a feasible solution by any means. Like in a perfect world, I would take Xavier McKinney and I would I would do away with Amani Hooker and have that kind of situation. I love Xavier McKinney, but this is not realistic you, based on you the are you're on the you're on the right track. He he has been an absolute monster oh. since he was a sophomore. He he is a bona fide day one starter in the NFL and I'm with you on, on Xavier McKinney. I just they've got two they've got you know, they've got such good value at that position I know. that they don't like, like for for example, I, I love Terrell Burgess out of Utah, and he's actually, when you start looking at the tape and you start looking at the measurables, 5'11", 205, can roll up into the slot, but is, but is a safety, has a corner background, great tackler. Does that sound like Imani Hooker to you? Sounds exactly like Imani Hooker. So I love that player. I don't know if they're going to go after a guy like that because they kind of already have one in his second year who's affordable and on the roster. And and he can maybe help you out in return duties. Like there is, there's too much that you can do with Imani Hooker to consider him not being a reasonable uh, piece in all of this. And he, they trust him. Like he, he seems to have good spatial awareness. Like he knows where to be within the scheme of the defense, which is really half the battle, especially for somebody that young. And they got great, great, maybe not great, but they got replacement level play out of Hooker and out of David Long in the playoffs, for God's sake. So that's about as good as you yep. could hope for with yep. two players. I just think athletically, there's a lot, there There could be something, there's, uh, it leaves something to be desired, I guess, with both of them, but that's a conversation for another day. So let's talk about tackles, because your, your point is well made that the talent disparity right around pick, what, what did you say, 32 to 35, that is where we will see the biggest depreciation. I 
I look at these two Georgia tackles, Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas realistically is not going to be there, nor do they need him um, in, a, in a role that's best suited, I would say, for left tackle. Now, maybe he is comfortable transitioning. I don't think, I don't think that playing right tackle or playing left tackle is a knock on an athlete who could likely play both. And I think Andrew Thomas, out of all of these guys, is, is set up to have the most consistent professional career because there's really nothing that he lacks. It's not overwhelming talent, but fundamentally, he's a great player. Isaiah Wilson, though, uh, Bunny, which is just a fantastic nickname for a tackle. <laughs> I Talking to him at the Combine, and I, I will admit that my offensive line study much like Amani Hooker's overall athleticism leaves something to be desired. I think that they can find a tackle that's not necessarily Dennis Kelly's replacement. I think that they would be comfortable finding somebody to push Dennis Kelly this year, whenever it is that they take the field. Is Isaiah Wilson a reasonable a reasonable person to put in that position, or am I overvaluing him? Well, I think much like the question about Amani Hooker, how much do you believe in him today? Like tomorrow, if you had to play a game and you had to play him out there, and this is the same question with Dennis Kelly, because if you remember, we go back to last summer and there was all this talk about, oh, Dennis Kelly could be a starter and let's slide Jack Conklin into guard. And then there was like, well, that's not going to happen. And um, certainly with, with Conklin gone, you, you've got to decide, is, is Dennis Kelly clearly the guy you want to play right tackle or is he better suited for that swing role, which he's been so good at? I think Isaiah Wilson, to your point about developing a guy that can push someone this year, maybe like Nate Davis, where by midseason, and I know there was some injury issue there, but by midseason, you get to a guy that can produce and be and be a starting product. But you're you know you're paying Dennis Kelly seven eight million dollars for the next couple of years. So the question is again, like a money hooker, how much do you trust Dennis Kelly to be a starting? 60 65 snap a game because the guys who play every snap are the offensive linemen so you have to trust him to be that guy what i love about isaiah wilson is the things that you can't coach and that is size and attitude size and attitude much like wide receiver and this is a question for for Corey davis he checks the, the size box but the attitude not not bad attitude in the locker room i mean does he have the dog the mentality mm. the aggressiveness and that is what you want out of an offensive lineman, especially on this group where you've got star power, right, with with Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold. And you've got, you know, Ben Jones is a larger than life personality. If you're around him at all, he's absolutely hysterical. Not in damn so, interview settings. It's infuriating. Well, I know how that, funny he is and right, not right. in front of a camera. He, chew, he turns it on and off. He's the Gene Chizik of the Titans offensive line. Um, and so I, I think <laughs> Isaiah Wilson, from a, a, like an aggressiveness standpoint, is it has what you want. And I think one of the most important traits for an offensive lineman is that is instinct and attitude. Are you going to finish blocks? Do you work and grind every snap to the end of the play till the whistle to finish your plays? And Isaiah Wilson almost has too much of that, which is sort of what Taylor Lewan has, right? He has too much of that early in his career. He took too many over-aggressive penalties. Hell, last year he took a few early over-aggressive penalties. And so I think when you go 6-7-3-30 and you have the attitude to finish blocks every play, I like that that profile and so does he have a lot of work to do is he a developmental prospect absolutely but can you the question really is can you go further in the playoffs become a better football team in 2020 by drafting a piece that may not start for you in the first round which probably would apply to running back probably would apply to quarterback in the third or fourth round which i think again is a stupid thing to do 
to draft a quarterback in the first three or four rounds because, frankly, they're committed to Ryan Tannehill for three years at, at minimum for $91 million. Oh, it's the Logan Woodside show, baby. He's, right, here, exactly. he's coming so, for the throne. No, this is yeah. This is Ryan Tannehill's team. Period for three years. That's it. Like end of discussion. So Jalen Hurts, I don't want to hear about it. Like if you want Tim Tebow in the fourth round, fine. Go draft Jalen Hurts. Oh, I, the I, disrespect! My well, God. Hey, no, I know everybody. You know the the in a perfect world, the quarterback <laughs> would be accurate. Yes, like this is this is the right. Gr- well, he's <laughs> be- he's beloved. Just let me just read read the scouting report. He's beloved <laughs> in the locker room. He's a power rusher between the tackles from the shotgun. He is an absolute leader. He put up huge numbers at, you know, multiple, you know, you know uh, p- powerhouse teams that want a boatload of games, like, and, and is really struggling with his accuracy and doesn't go through his progressions very well. Like, who does that sound like? It's Tim Tebow. I love Jalen Hurts. I want him on my football team. I, I just might want him in like a Kyle Juszczyk role. <laughs> That's all. Hey. Um, so again, I think tackle is interesting. It, it completely drops off after about seven or eight guys. You know, Worfs is going to be unavailable. Becton's going to be unavailable. You said Will, Willis and Thomas, I think, are the best two. Um, I know a lot of people like Austin Jackson out of USC, Josh Jones out of Houston. After that, I, I think you, much like the quarterback position, there is no depth. So if tackle is a priority and you're John Robinson, I think you have to address it. If it's not a priority and you're okay sort of adding a replacement-level player, maybe because you've traded back to get a corner in the second round and added some capital and maybe you've got an extra – maybe you've got a fourth or a fifth rounder now, I think that's okay. Go ahead, add a tackle for a depth piece and and, and go to work. Then you're saying, I trust Dennis Kelly and it's not as big a need as I've got in other places. So – I think this is one of the more complicated predictions for John Robinson. I think in the past, it's been extremely obvious what he's needed, and he's been very systematic in his approach to addressing those needs. Well, the last- roster's been so wretched. It hadn't been, <laughs> right, hasn't been right. that hard. You know, like, we, we are season, terrible at wide receiver and corner. Let's get better at wide receiver and corner. Exactly. We went into the last season going, hey, we need a slot receiver and, a, and, a, and an interior offensive lineman. Well, what did he do? He went oh. and signed Adam Humphreys and Roger Saffold. So this year, it's a little different. The roster's not maybe as top-end talent talented uh there's a lot more depth but you're not sure maybe where the weakness is which is is you know traditionally that's a position of strength to be operating from because it means you can play the draft as it comes to you which john robinson is very very good at and the the draft is a musical instrument man we're in nashville you've 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 got to match your depth chart with the depth of the positions in the draft and where you're picking in the draft it's like playing three different instruments at one time and and so you've got to consider all those factors. That's to me trading back to 35, 36, 38, whatever, drafting your guy at corner, I think, or defensive, you know, end slash outside backer. Mm. Those are the that's those are the two smartest moves to me. Uh, and it adds capital and cash in the process. So that again, I know, you know, there's a lot to dis- be discussed about the tackle position. The tackle to me is the actually it's, it's actually the only one that at 29. I would go after unless wild card, unless you're letting Derrick Henry walk after one franchise tag season, there's a chance that no running back is taken in the first round. And if you could decide between Dobbins, Taylor, Edward Solaire, um, and Swift, and you know that that is your guy, I think all four of those guys are going to be feature every down backs in the NFL for the next five years. That is, you know, if you're going back up and you think Derrick Henry is going to leave the team in, in 18 months, 
that's where I think you can consider going running back. But that's the only situation. If you know for a fact in your heart, you're not going to pay that man. See, we, we disagree on Edwards Alaire in terms of featured running back, but that's I, maybe, maybe I'm nitpicking. And that's a great way to transition because I think, I think the future is something, right? The draft is all about the future, right? The, the slogan of the NFL draft is the future is now. So you look at, you look at all of these things and your your goal your desired goal is to win now you want to uh you want to make a run at this thing if you're amy uh, uh, amy adam strunk if you're john robinson if you're mike vrabel you want this and you think that you're close so Clowney being the piece that may or may not i mean very rarely is there one piece that sets a football team over the top those kind of transactions very rarely work out but let's say for all intents and purposes that Clowney is that guy then you also have the situation with the running back where he is on a very affordable contract. You have said publicly that you wish to extend him and that you would do everything in your power or some, some paraphrase of that, that you would like to do anything that you can to keep him around. That's great. Fans love to hear it. Derek loves to hear it. You got him to sign, your fr- sign his franchise tag the next day after you said it publicly to the media. <laughs> but in all reality... The smart roster building decision was maybe maybe if you don't extend Derrick Henry, Henry, maybe you tag him twice or maybe you let him walk. And you let him walk with the idea that in this particular draft, you can va- you can find versatility, which first and foremost, we talked to Daniel, Darum, uh, J- Daniel Jeremiah on the media call about this. And while football is not yet positionless, nor will it ever be truly positionless, Guys like McCaffrey and these the and Camara and these running backs who are really also slot receivers and you can split them out wide and you can do a bunch of things with them. They're getting paid like offensive weaponry. And right now those those positions are much less defined. You have a running back that is very, very clearly defined by his skill set. Who should they look at if it's not going to be at 29? And I don't necessarily think even if this is with the future of build, uh, with the intention of building for the future, that running back should be the pick at 29. Is there another day two or day three player that you look at and you say, okay, if Derrick Henry was to not be on the roster in 2021, this guy could help tide them over, if not be the complete and total feature back that they will need in the future. This guy can get they can get production out of him in both the running and the passing game on day two or day three? Oh, all right. So day two is an interesting question because uh, I was told by Matt Miller on the Athlon Sports Cover 2 podcast. Great review and subscribe, subscribe wherever it is um, that you get your podcasts. That, <laughs> that there will not be a running back taken in the first round. And I thought that was a little surprising because we've seen sort of the the stud guy, the, the guy you're talking about, the versatile player that's a three-down back that's going to catch – you know, 60, 70 passes, be targeted 100 times, maybe get 200-plus carries-ish, but he's going to be a 2,000-yard guy from scrimmage and can do a little bit of everything, pick up the blitz, you know, operate in, in every system, right, whether it's the San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan and multiple backs and multiple tight ends or you're running wide-open spread stuff. I, I think those four guys are the four names I mentioned, yeah. and I was surprised to hear that those four aren't going to go in the first round. Dobbins is the guy I like better than everybody. I think Dobbins is the best one of the group. He, he's he's the guy that I would say, all right, if I'm t- 29 and I'm set on taking a running back and all four of them are available and I've got a pick between all of them, I would take J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. That's sure. the guy I would take. I don't think there's a, a big drop-off, though, 
between him and DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, and Clyde. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to me is four, clearly, but I think he's still pretty damn good. Now, quickly though, that, quickly with with Taylor, am, am I missing? Is he just not getting volume in the passing game? Is that where these lack of receptions come from? Is it just Wisconsin style of play? What am I missing with Taylor? Uh, all, all of the above, and they made a very different approach. Like he had eight catches as a as a freshman, eight catches as a sophomore for less than 100 yards no touchdowns. He had 26 receptions for 252 yards and five touchdowns and they in it receiving as a junior and they threw him the ball from day one of the season. Yeah. Very, very much on purpose to showcase his ability to catch the football. So I think it was lack of chances at first and then they showed it to people and he wanted to make sure it was on tape because they knew he was leaving and I think he's the most talented player to play that position at Wisconsin and that's a very big statement considering sure. the running backs they've had come through there. I think he's better than Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, and then there's a whole list of first round draft picks, Ron Dane, Michael Bennett, go on and on. I, I think he's the best one of the bunch. And so I think they clearly showcase that this season. So I think it's more lack of opportunity. If he had Joe Burrow and, and, and LSU's receivers, he'd have 55 receptions like Clyde Edwards Hilaire as well. So, cause I think Taylor's more explosive and more dynamic in the open field than, than Clyde Edwards Hilaire is. So I, I think Dobbins, Taylor and Swift are sort of a class to themselves with, with CEH at number four and kind of a step back. I think Cam Akers is a very close number five. He was a five-star kid, number one running back out of high school, coming out of high school, went to Florida state, had no support in the offensive line whatsoever. After that, you've got some really interesting pieces. I mean, you know, Benjamin is sort of a smaller, I don't think he's the future. If you're going to let Derrick Henry walk, I don't think you go after a guy like that. I think Zach Moss has some really interesting ability out of, out of Utah. Oh. He's more of a, a true workhorse, a guy that you can get the football to. I'm not buying Anthony McFarland out of Maryland or or the, the league kid. I don't, I don't think they got a whole lot of coaching. If you want a big burly guy, you can go A.J. Dillon. It's sort of what, what do you feel like after that top four, Keyshawn Vaughn is a really, really good player and obviously a local kid out of out of the Jeff Street area. So it is, it's it's going to be great if, when he gets drafted. I, I, it'd be awesome to see him go to the Titans in the fifth or sixth or seventh round if they can get a pick in one of those rounds. Um, but there's good talent. Like Michael P. Ryan out of Florida is a guy who's not tested very well, but his whole story is that he didn't test well. He didn't test well coming out of high school, and and he's from Alabama. He wanted to go to Auburn desperately, and he and he you know didn't get an offer because he wasn't fast enough. Well, he went to Florida and. You know, he's, he's a pretty good player. So I, I, that's a guy that's not the future. You don't build around him. But he's a guy that certainly could take two or three years if, if all of a sudden you're without Derrick Henry. And I think the fan base would revolt if that happens. That, that Those are guys, you know, Scotty Phillips out of Ole Miss. I like him a little bit. Uh, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA is an interesting talent. I don't think there's a lot of can replace Derrick Henry outside of the top four. So if you are trying to replace Derrick Henry, I think you need to go top four. If you're one of the running backs in this class, if you're not, and you're just looking for a supplemental piece, then I think there's plenty of guys. Tavion Feaster out of, out of South Carolina used to play at Clemson, played in the national championship. He's a guy who's very versatile and dynamic in the open field, 220 as well. So not a small guy. There's plenty of supplemental pieces in rounds four, five, six, and seven. Uh, if you want a guy to replace Derrick Henry, you're going to have to get one of those top four. Best guess, where's Melvin Gordon playing right now? Because I had to look this up. Oh, oh where's where's he actually on a roster? Yes, where is he playing professional football in 2020? Do you have oh, any God. idea? Is he like a Bengal? Like, he's like somebody random. I don't no, know where, it's, where it's a at. B, but it's not the Bengals. <laughs> 
it's the Bears. No, it's the Broncos. The Browns. Broncos. Broncos. I didn't, right. I didn't realize there were that many that, other B teams. That was that was 37 news cycles ago, Buck. I don't remember what happened 37 news cycles ago. I don't want the cure to be worse than the disease, man. <laughs> neither neither did I. But I yeah, I just got I went down a rabbit hole while you were talking about the the running backs, and I found Melvin Gordon. Thanks for listening. I appreciate I, it. No, I was listening, and I stop that. <laughs> stop that right now. Listen, I listen to the Godforsaken Athlon Cover Two podcast. Right, review oh. and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts on a weekly and now multiple times a week basis. Uh, at least that's how often it's been popping up in my feed, if I'm not incorrect. Um, and <laughs> Melvin Gordon is, uh, I just, I got curious because Melvin Gordon could have gotten a lot more money had he taken the Chargers deal. And now yep. he plays for yep. pennies for the Broncos, which I just, I, I'm fascinated by the whole, the whole market collapse of the running back is, uh, is interesting to me. No, all of those names, uh, and, and spoke to many of them at the combine, and and have you know you do you try to do your due diligence on as many of these guys as possible. Now, to be completely honest, running back has not been top of mind for me. But more and more, as the Derrick Henry thing has kind of evolved, I think that people need to be paying closer attention to it because you are going to need a backup running back this year, regardless. Yep. Yep. Uh, it just matters more for what exactly the future holds. And at this point, we don't know quickly uh, because I told you I was going to keep for twenty keep you for twenty minutes, and now we are approaching almost thirty. Uh, I think that Detroit could very well take a quarterback. I think uh, based on the information that I heard, and it's been a long time since the combine, so the information may very well be outdated, and it's been difficult to track things down in the midst of the Rona. But I think that Matt Stafford's back is believed to be significant enough of an issue that they would consider, uh, consider taking a quarterback if Tua and Herbert are there at three, which theoretically they both should be. Who would you take if you're Detroit? Uh, who's calling plays and what do I want the offense to look like? Oh, that's fair. I, I think I think is the most important question because I think that the cool thing about the NFL in 2020 is that it is so much more like college football at the quarterback position than it's ever been before. It doesn't matter. You don't have to fit into a box to be an NFL quarterback anymore. And I think that's what's so fun about the game in the NFL level, which old boys that used to cover the league that said, oh, these are the best athletes in the world that are playing the highest level of the sport with the best coaches. That was always true. It was still boring-ass football. And now it's not. Now it's fun. Now it is exciting. Now it's dynamic. Now you can – Tua doesn't fit into a box. He's six foot. He's Drew Brees is what he is. He's six foot, 215, 217. He's got some injury history, um, incredibly efficient. He, he pushes the ball a little bit instead of being a true thrower, but he's so accurate. His footwork is great. He just doesn't fit into a box. You can't, he, he doesn't, you know, like, so you, you've got to fit your offense to that player. Now, if you want a little bit more now, Justin Herbert for, for what it's worth from an efficiency standpoint is one of the best quarterbacks in, in college football, recently to come from an accuracy standpoint outside of the pocket and under pressure, which, which is interesting because it means he's not good in the framework and structure of an offense, which is sort of what the Titans are actually with Ryan Tannehill, right? They want him to stay within the framework of the offense. Justin Herbert is actually at his best when his team is down four and it's, you know, you know, fourth quarter and he won some games on his own. Well, two is a little bit more in the system guy. So if you've got a system that is built on quick reads, quick progressions, lot you know talent on the edge getting guys into routes quickly and making it simple 
bang, 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 the way Drew Brees has played his entire career for the Saints. And I think two is the guy you want to go with. If, if Herbert, if you want a guy that's going to be a little bit more complex, he's, a, he's I think Tua is less of an athlete than people think. I think Herbert's way better on the edge. He can get outside and move around a little bit more. But again, that's not necessarily, it's all about what you want. And so the latest with the Dolphins is that they clearly want to tackle. Maybe they're going to go up to three and get that. Who knows what that looks like? That seems like a dumb move to me. I feel like you can get whatever tackle you want at five. The Chargers at six might be picking a quarterback. The best thing that could happen to all of us is that Tua falls into like the late teens and then the Patriots trade up to get him. That would break the internet. And we'd Come all on, baby. Time. I mean, I'm rooting for that openly. Um, so, uh, or, or, or Tua's, <laughs> Tua's on the clock and the Patriots pass on him, which would be a very clear Bill Belichick evaluation of a Nick Saban player, two guys that know each other extremely well. Mm. So I, I just think I, – I, I believe in Tua. I, I think I think he's a guy that's going to have a successful career. The injuries are a concern, but had Nick Saban, ironically, taken Drew Brees instead of Dante Culpepper at Miami back after the major injury to the shoulder when he was at San Diego, that – you know, that – you know, Alabama doesn't have any national championships right now, you know? And, and so it's those types of things that that's the gravity of the decision around two of this. He is, he, I've never seen a number one overall prospect be a clear cut number one overall pick like Joe Burrow and not even be close to the biggest name in the draft. Tua is not, not even close to as the biggest name in the draft. Whatever happens to Tua on Thursday night is going to be the biggest story, whether he goes to three to Detroit or he falls into the teens or twenties like Aaron Rodgers. Tua is a bigger story than Joe Burrow, and that's almost not fair to Joe Burrow. So, so what are we going to do since this draft is uh, has no green room for us to sit there and gawk at the player whose whose draft stock has just clearly collapsed in front of them, and there's no drama for us to have? Are they just going to pan quickly to the webcam in Tua's home? Are they going to give us yeah. our fix that way? I think this this I watched the WNBA bra- uh, draft on Friday just out of curiosity to see, one, where Sabrina Ionescu would go, and secondly, to see what the format would look like on ESPN. And I am going to be so... I, I already am not a fan. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm in the vast minority in the, in the idea that I just don't care for the draft. The draft does not do it for me. I, 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 w- would, you, would you be more interested if they just released the list? Like, here are the 256 picks in order yeah. with trades. Like, would you be like, I, I don't think that's smart business, obviously. No, I think it's terrible you, business. You could do that in theory. And that'd be the same thing that happened last year here in Nashville with 600,000 people. You could just release the names. And, and I, I agree. I think it's going to be like, listen, I've got, obviously I'm an ESPN employee. I work for Walt Disney. I, I, I have, there's so many um, unbelievable people that are going to be working on that broadcast, but I, I think it's actually an opportunity for digital companies to be really, really good this, this time around. I, I think the folks that are, you know, running really high-end digital broadcasts during the draft, they're actually going to do, uh, you know, through their apps and through websites, they're actually going to do a, a better job, I think. Now, do they have all the footage? That's going to be critical. Um, but if you want pick-by-pick analysis, I think there's going to be pe- people doing it better, unfortunately, than, than NFL Network or ESPN. And that's, I think that's just a statement of sort of where we are during the this, this uh, you know, a global pandemic. So I, I think it's going to be a fascinating watch and 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 observation i just don't know if i'm going to be watching it on tv i think i might be going the, the digital route this year because i think there's so many good people doing so much good work that you know covering every team and every pick and every player and i think they're going to be able to do it just as well and and that that's the difference the glitz and the glam and the the showcase of downtown broadway last year at, you know 
that guys are supposed to be in Vegas partying right now. I'm and, supposed and to be in Vegas partying. And they're not. I should have woken up you. in Vegas this morning. You know how angry I am? I should have been in Vegas. This goddamn coronavirus. Yeah, I'm Vegas, so over so, it. Vegas is – I'll be – I'm like – I'm in the minority. Vegas is overrated, but that's just me. That's just me. I'm 26. Vegas is not overrated. I, it was, I, dude. I'll go out there and go hiking in Red Rocks, and I'll go to like the the, the reused oxygen stealing my money sh- stuff. I just don't need it. Like I don't need it. So, <laughs> I need it. The, the, I need it. The, all, the all you can eat shrimp buffet that's been sitting out for 36 hours. I just don't need. Even when I'm 27, I didn't need that. I need. I'm 26. I still need it. I need mm-hmm. all of it. Whatever. Uh, for as long as I can. Well, I mean, I've been one time. With my parents at four. 14 of us out for my 21st because <laughs> I'm, I'm the youngest one of all that of my friends. Uh, and so we didn't have real money when we went and one of my <laughs> friends still managed to wake up uh, on a massage table with a finger in his butt. But that's a story for another day and another podcast. Indeed, Braden Gall, who has his own podcast, the Athlon Sports Cover 2 podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. You can, of course, hear him on SiriusXM, ESPN Radio. You can read him at Athlon. Their magazine will be coming out soon. Braden will uh, will finagle his way back here to discuss the Athlon oh, yeah. magazine, and I look forward to the copy that I will require uh, upon his visit uh, with all of these things moving forward, assuming that we do, in fact, have college football. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite the finagler, much like what happened to your friend at Vegas in Vegas. I, I, yeah, that's a different... I got, I, I know how, I know how to, I know how to weasel my way into a tight space. You know, no, no problems there. That's such a well, terrible uh, joke to end this thing on. You, what, this, why, you should be ashamed the, of yourself. I'm kind of pissed off that you didn't ask me about the wide receiver class. To be honest with you, uh, um, so then I can plug my podcast one more time. I'm kind of pissed off. I don't have enough time. We've already run okay. way over the top, and I, can, I mean, right. you can give me a quick spiel if you, if you can do it. No. I, I don't believe nope. you can do it in under a minute but if you can do it do it uh greatest wide receiver class of all time don't take a wide receiver in the first round there in less than 10 seconds oh that's perfect there you go brayden gall athlon sirius xm espn radio find him on all of these places and spaces my friend uh we will speak again soon and i hope you and the family are well and i hope that your children eventually over the course of quarantine learn how to wipe their own ass uh, they have not, but I'll be damned if my three-year-old can't ride a bike like a champ. And I am damn, I am damn proud of that as a father. Don't you, you cannot take that away from me, Buck Rising. Little victories. What we cannot take away from you all, the good people, is the 615 Sessions podcast, because that's going to do it for us today. We will be back after the first round Thursday night, late, late, deep into the evening. We will speak to the prospect, and we will deliver your podcast immediately after then in the meantime we will speak to you on thursday right here on the 615 sessions podcast powered by tennessee tickets brought to you as always by a to z sports and a to z sports nashville.com